It is the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny, and he is George joining us, taking over for our dearly departed Andy full time. Full time now, George. Dearly departed. Well, he's he's Andy's fine. He's fine. I don't want to listeners. Give him... It's it's not that serious. He's okay. He's totally fine. But we're sad to see him go. But we're also equally excited that you, George Eisner, are here to help us out with the Dubcast to give your hot takes on all the things related to Ohio State sports and beyond. And I am excited. We talked about this before we started recording. I'm excited about this particular episode because I feel that there are some things that are definitely going to push your buttons a little bit. That includes talking about the drama surrounding CD Stroud in the NFL draft. That includes NCAA college football rule changes. So that should be some fun. And then we've got some, uh, some kind of niche sports, I would say. Call it niche. I don't know that necessarily should be, but I think that's definitely up your alley uh, most in the way that you know, Andy was with wrestling. So we will get into all of those things, but I want to start with the thing that we have to talk about. I don't necessarily love the idea that we have to spend so much time on it. Um, but the fact that CJ Stroud is falling precipitously and by precipitously, I mean like by four or five spots in the first below the guy that's draft. afraid of milk. <laughs> that's right. That's right. He's, he's fallen behind the guy who is terrified. Can't be in the same room. Uh, as milk allegedly will levis uh briefly let's recap cj stroud has in most i think draft uh you know mock drafts and estimations has fallen in the eyes of people uh for uh, we're gonna get talk about them but various reasons well so people... jo- johnny if i may uh, we actually need to go back a little bit further than okay, that let's because do that. it was let's it was that. about a month ago when i uh briefly took over for uh, Andy as he was mm-hmm. uh, preparing to transition off of the 11 dubcast and I told the listeners that CJ Stroud was basically after um his pro day at Ohio State or it was what? rather his no it was rather his combine performance that was it and in fact now that I'm recalling it and nobody like it's funny that in like the fact that all of everything that's unfolded with Stroud in the last week in terms of his stock falling that no one has actually looked back at the combine performance that kind of elevated him to number right. one to overall in the, first place. in the first place. Right. right. The stuff that the guy actually did in the drills merited him going up and right. nothing has happened since and his stock has gone down. Well, that it's said, because it's because he, according to Brady Quinn, Cleveland legendary Cleveland Browns quarterback Brady Quinn that he committed to doing something with the Manning Academy passing camp I don't know what the hell's quarterback thing and then flaked and that shows that he's not a leader and and clearly can't be in charge of an NFL team or or it could be some supposedly leaked aptitude scores which he didn't do very well on um I don't know, man. What What is your overall take? I don't want to rehash this whole drama because, frankly, it's, there's no point. But what is your whole take on um, all of this drama surrounding his apparent fall? And do you think – here's the other thing, George. Do you think that some of this is just engineered or do you think this is like a real thing that NFL teams actually might buy into? Well, I just to reiterate, I, I rehashed because – because I needed to apologize to the listeners for, you know, <laughs> boistering that Stroud was a lock for number one. And then you just, you know, you never know when the, never the know. gears of the media machine are going to start churning and then you start to see stuff like this. I mean, you look, 
you don't want to be one of these tinfoil hat wearing Buckeye fans or, you know, silver foil hat wearing whatever puns you want to make about it. The point is people outside of this fan base love to allege that Ohio State fans are conspiracy theorists and that, you know, they are always thinking the the, the larger national media machine <laughs> is out to get them and their players Quit but, giving us ammunition. <laughs> I mean, you have to look at what has happened in the last month, as we were alluding to at the beginning of the conversation, and ask yourself, what could have possibly caused this dramatic of a fall with such little action to go on since yeah. the combine and the pro day? And there's just not really anything there is the is the truth, other than Brady Quinn. In an attempt to, you know, gain, I don't know, some sort of momentary draft analyst relevancy, uh, you know, rehashes that Manning Passing Academy story from over a year ago. C.J. Stroud was a finalist for the Manning Award this season. (laughs) This season, like the most recent one that happened, not the one a year ago. It's, It's just pure nonsense. The one legitimate... And I don't even know if you, you can't even really call this a direct criticism of Stroud himself. The one thing that I think that could even be possibly interpreted as a red flag here is him uh, aligning with the same agent as Deshaun Watson, which I can sure. understand with all the you know rinsing of that image that has had to go on in recent years. You wonder, like, you're coming in, you're this highly rated prospect, you could have your pick of the field in terms of who you want to be working with and you choose that guy who well you choose the guy who got another guy you know a quarter of a billion dollars right like that's i don't know i i understand what you're saying with that but i also think that like he's trying to get as much money as he possibly can i feel right the guy who who managed to do that for you know allegedly a pretty bad person so if you're but if you're trying to spin that bryce young deserves to be going ahead of cj stroud or that will levis deserves to be going ahead of cj stroud or that anthony richardson who you know couldn't throw a football in the ocean if he was standing on the beach is better than cj stroud it's easy for you to look at that narrative with the Deshaun Watson agent and just say that's that's a very easy layup for me to you sure. know say oh is there something there that you know why is he doing it but that's it there's nothing from a football perspective from a leadership perspective the guy did everything and it's it, it it's sad to see how easy it is for these sorts of things to take shape this quickly with so little to go on in an era where this can end up costing professionals millions of dollars at the start of their career. And I, I I fear that this is going to be, it's something that we've seen, you know, in the last 10 years with a lot of these quarterback races in terms of draft evaluation, but I, I worry it's going to be something that becomes a recurring theme in every draft going forward in this era we live in. Where I think it's, the, it's so easy to fabricate media images. Yeah. Like this. Yes. And I you know, honestly, I think it's already been that way. And I think I think it will continue to be that way. And 
not for nothing i mean it's not like this the story that you know brady quinn put out there has gone unchallenged i mean you know you had ryan clark saying this is basically you know bs and that you know he might have been invited but he never committed and then that's why he wasn't there because he never said he was going to be i I don't know what the truth is on that i also don't care i don't part of me really hates the idea that um you know the mannings are 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 this football royalty that has to be you know cow-toed to because if you know there's any kind of slight against something that they want then you're clearly not a football guy you know capital f capital g football guy i that kind of thing really bothers me because first of all that helps allow stories like this you know gain traction because oh well you know if (laughs) if a big time college football quarterback you know, made news or lost stra- draft stock because they blew off a camp, right? I'm pretty sure you would have a lot more stories than like one every year or so, right? This That, that would happen more, much more often because it was a Manning camp that speaks ill of your character more so than any of these other camps. Well, Johnny, in the same way that you have to assume every quarterback that goes to the NFL from Ohio State is going to be bad because none of them have made it, you have to assume that every Manning is good at football, including Cooper, who didn't really get the chance to prove himself in the way Peyton and Eli did. But you just hear the word Manning, and, you know, it just pricks up your ears from a football perspective in the same way that, you know, the common fan sees an Ohio State quarterback now and they you know decide and knows that they're the terrible hills. inherently right yep. that knows <laughs> the narrative's true until it gets disproven right but it's 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 so sad. it's it's frustrating and it's stupid and I don't you know again is CJ Stroud going to suffer horribly for this no I mean if you look at the mock drafts he's still you know easily a top 10 pick probably a top five pick I don't see him going further than the Colts at four right I think that's a lot of people would say the Texans you know are going to pick him up if if not at number one who knows? The Texans are maybe one of the dumbest franchises in all of professional sports. I have no idea if if they'll make that call or, or fumble it or whatever. Um, but there are a lot of other options, you know, before you get to, you know, the doldrums of the, the mid-teens or the 20s or something like that. He'll get picked up as a top 10. His, his talent is too evident. And as you said, and is in, in his combine, I mean, he did everything that you need to do to be the number one pick. So, you know, and again, nothing, none of this is to slight Bryce Young, who I think is a really good prospect, but um, the talent is obviously there. So I don't know, man. It, it feels manufactured. It feels weird. I do think, and I do agree, that this is something that will be happening a lot more often, in part because, you know, guys like Brady Quinn, who otherwise do not have much of a voice nationally in terms of this, it, it, it really is their opportunity to get in the public eye. I mean, we're talking about them, right? We're writing articles about them. That's that's really part of what this is all about. And that's frustrating. It's unbelievable. This is like I I I can't remember when he got. I'm sure, you know, the the Browns fans the world over that listen to this are probably, you know, committed to memory when Brady was uh, you know, hanging up his cleats, but I <laughs> I'm not sure when his media career actually started, but I would say this is that like just in terms of like a journalism pure journalism thing that was probably his biggest moment of relevance not anything he did, sure. he's done on like a media desk or anything that was probably the biggest thing that has had people talking and it was it was extremely funny how quickly it got shot down by people that were able to just say like did you really even look into this that this yeah. like did you, is did you not talk on the to same- anyone Oh, it, it, it's unbelievable. And it's the the funny parallel it draws for me is looking at, 
you know, the arc that Brady Quinn has had in football now, not just his playing career in the NFL, not just in college, but now transitioning into the media life, right. he's still just getting lapped by AJ Hawk in every way. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Even though AJ seems doomed to be Pat McAfee's sidekick for, you know, maybe the rest of his own career. Well, at least he doesn't have egg on his face in right. the same way that Brady just did with this. And yeah, there are I, worse there are worse fates, I guess. You know what I, I mean? Like right. You could you could be Brady you could be Brady Quinn. You could be, you know, peddling stories right before the draft to try to raise your media profile and i don't see him doing that no aj so, never had to sell out or and he got a super bowl ring and he's that's still right. you know the guy that he was in the league and uh you know brady's still you know the cleaned up good good boy from dublin kaufman but uh you know now he's putting out hit pieces on uh his his own from columbus and it's right. uh it's it's sad to see it's frustrating and you know what again like i said it's it's not going to be the worst thing ever for cj stroud but you you just you would hope that the media discourse, the narrative, the reporting on the draft leading up to the draft wasn't about this kind of petty crap. And it was a lot, it would be more about the accomplishments of the players and how they're awesome and what they're able to do. There are serious conversations. I wrote about this last week. There are serious conversations you can have about players' character, about maybe their past transgressions affecting their, you know, future earning potential i mean i was talking about like joe mixon for example you know with the cincinnati Bengals several years ago a lot of people are like oh maybe this guy doesn't deserve to be drafted so high maybe he's got some character issues and then some of those have been borne out and subsequent legal problems that he's had and that's a serious conversation if you want to have that conversation you can have that conversation that's not what this conversation is this is petty gossipy crap it's just catty and it's it's dumb and it's just not it could be so much better than this. And I, I would hope in the future. And I, I do like how, and like you said, how people kind of just responded by not even really giving it a whole lot of air and just knocking it down immediately. That's probably the best approach to take to something like this, but I really hope it's just not, I don't know. It, it's not something that takes hold in a way that it becomes the only way that we talk about. Well, the to your, to, to your point about, you know, you thinking like this has kind of already become a pattern. The other, the other side of this pattern that's unfortunate, the more I think about it is how the fans consistently demonstrate better sensibility and judgment about listening to these sorts of things <laughs> than the, the people media. that are actually making right. the decisions. You're right. It's, You're right. And it, it, it's, re it's consistently reflected and it, it's one it's been one of the favorite things. I wasn't even that I, I was never one of these people that said Lamar Jackson was going to break the NFL. But the people that were very much on that train that watched all those names go before him in the draft, mm -hmm. one of their favorite things to do prior to this offseason where things have kind of gotten a little bit off the rails with, um, you know, the trajectory of his future, uh, like. They, they love just singing oh did you they listen to all the bad narratives around the draft that caused you know a heisman trophy winner stock who you know can throw the football from one end zone into the other and right. runs a better 40 than anybody else playing the position in a very long time like you're not going to draft this guy because of you know some article you read that made you question your judgment about like it's it's crazy that it has this much power and that the people that 
would otherwise may do the responsible thing and just take the guy that's demonstrated the right amount of talent without the character problems right. that would make you question taking him that's and that's the other crazy thing like there is zero character issues with cj stroud like none i mean it, it's not i mean we've had criticisms on the dub cast where it's like you know who where's the leadership in terms of like who's going to be the guy to kick everybody's butts whatever that's not necessarily the role he has to play in the nfl but if you're talking about like what are the concerns about the guy that you're invest tens of millions of dollars into basically none with cj stroud and it's a lot of about a lot of that bothers me about the narratives and things like that is that it's really asking you to not trust your own eyes right like you've seen cj stroud complete 70 percent of his passes throw a bajillion yards make crazy throws like you know just on a dime all of that is being asked to be ignored in favor of you know rumors and hearsay like that's that's what bothers me because we've seen this guy play for years and we've seen, we know exactly what he's been able to do. You saw him at the combine hitting everything. People are saying this is the best possible combine any player could ever have. And we're asked to dismiss all of that in favor of gossip. And that's stupid. So ultimately, I hope that this is just kind of a speed bump for the guy. I think it will be. Um, there are obviously, I mean, we talk a lot about CJ Stroud. There's a lot of other Ohio State players in the draft who also deserve to be talked about. Paris Johnson considered to be one of the, you know, best Ohio state offensive lineman prospects in a long time. Uh, he could go as high as four to the Colts is, is what some people are saying in their mocks. I think that's probably a little high. He'll probably be around nine to 10, somewhere around there. Um, but he's, he's got a great future. I think in the NFL, obviously Jackson Smith and Jigba limited, of course, last season, but he's going to, you know, make a huge impact on a team. A lot of people are saying either the Texans or the Packers. I think that would be really interesting. Uh, and then Devon Jones, who I hope ends up, falling all the way to 28 to the Bengals that would be hilarious but he's all the way you know end of round middle of the end of round one through round two I don't think anybody expects him to get out of the second round um he won't fall further than that and then Zach Harrison's another guy who's kind of all over the place I thought it was interesting with uh Ronnie Hickman who <laughs> I think is just one of those guys who um people forget about and then like the people making these mock drafts are just kind of inserting whenever they remember that he exists. So huh. we've got, he's like from round three all the way to round seven beyond CJ Stroud, George, who is a guy that you're interested in, like really paying attention to, to see where they end up. I, the, the stunning thing, I, I know we want to get out of this, you know, rut with draft narratives, but the thing that really has blown my mind is that, if there was anybody on this team that was ripe to have their stock just annihilated due to the void left by them not really being able to say much, whether into a microphone or on the field, mm -hmm. it's Jackson Smith and Jigba. Yeah. For the entire last season, he just missed. And he was getting some pretty big flack for it, I think, pretty early in this draft process. But then people started running the highlights again because they didn't have <laughs> the highlight right. film from the last season. And they were like, oh, um, this is the guy that caught 350 yards in the Rose Bowl. He's pretty That's good, right. isn't he? Uh, yeah, we should probably take this guy. So I've I've been surprised that his he's kind of firmly entrenched himself in what seems like the 10-15 range. Mm -hmm. And I really would have thought, especially for a position that is notorious for having divas 
and for stocks being overinflated in the modern era and for you know it seems like there's a wealth of different options available um in terms of you know different positional needs in this draft but i my understanding is i guess wide receiver is not as top heavy as it has been maybe in some other years and so because Njigba stands out as like the guy among the rest, that's probably going to elevate where he goes a little bit and maybe make some of whatever other narrative would unfold, uh, maybe a little bit more unforgiven. But that was, it's been stunning to me to not see him fall. And I'm going to be curious if maybe he ends up actually falling. Um, And if people have kind of forgotten that there is some skepticism because of how much time he missed and what may have been going on during that stretch and why he ultimately decided not to contribute in the postseason. Um, I think that it's going to be interesting to monitor whether he actually stays where people think he's going to go or whether he falls further. My guess would be Stroud and Paris Johnson are off the board before Jigba is. That's my bold hot take for the draft. Okay, I will say this, just to wrap up the draft talk real briefly. I think a large part of the reason why he hasn't dropped is because the NFL falls victim to the same kind of stuff the media does, which is they buy into hardcore, really buy into narratives. Even surrounding like Ohio State quarterbacks, I think there's some trepidation there because of that that stigma which is stupid but it exists and i think the opposite is true for ohio state wide receivers where they're like oh well ohio state wide receivers are automatically amazing now we got to get ourselves an ohio state wide receiver now part of that makes a little bit of sense because you've got you know the same kind of coach you know you got brian hartline coaching these guys up and, and making them nfl ready but i do think that for so many other wide receivers that would be a huge negative that you don't have that kind of film on the guy um and I think that's mitigated in large part because you've got Brian Hartline's name next to coach. And that that is really helpful for a guy like him. Real quick, let's talk about this. Uh, shifting gears from uh, the, uh, the, the NFL draft that's coming up. We got a few rule changes in college football. And I, I wanted to briefly touch on this before we moved on. But uh, just to recap, if you weren't aware, okay, these, this is what's going to go into effect starting in 2023 and fall of 2023. The clock will now run on a first down with the exception of the final two minutes of either half. Teams cannot call consecutive team timeouts, and any penalty that occurs at the end of the first or third quarter will now carry over into the next quarter instead of ending the quarter on an untimed down. Either half cannot end on a defensive penalty unless it's declined by the opposing team. George, I know you have some some feelings about this. What are the are said feelings? Um, it's it's too much, man. Sometimes I, 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 it, 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 you're fundamentally changing, um, the like from a point scoring perspective. The this is really gonna shape a lot of different outcomes just in terms of total scoring with how offensively slanted rule changes have become mm-hmm. but not just that like what the thing that i always try to keep in mind whenever a significant change like this happens is how does this affect the records in the sport when we look at performances from 
this time now um, and in the future relative to ones in recent memory where there's been a bunch of rules that have been gradually granting the offense more and more leverage and you've had the added element of them being able to benefit from stopping the clock with that much frequency Mm -hmm. when you take that away now and you're going to have that clock moving constantly um it's it's going to affect what the final tallies are for a lot of the records in this sport on a game seasonal and career basis for these players and these programs because they're just not going to have as much time to produce um you know the the stats to compare with the previous time where the clock was just stopping more so i think I think that's something that you have to consider if you're a fan of the sport. Um, from a competitive perspective, the thing that I'm going to be curious to see is what does this do, you know, with the run versus the pass. One thing I'm always thinking about is the value that each has for how it's affecting the game clock. Mm-hmm. So if you've now gotten to a point where, you know, the clock's just basically going to be running anyway. Um, you know, how how is that going to affect your approach for, um, you know, getting first downs? And uh, it, 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 it changes a lot. And I, I feel like for this abrupt of a change, for it to be this abrupt, just to kind of like happen that the, the NCAA just decided that they're going to do this, this wasn't really like, I don't think anybody was like super clamoring for it, right? This no, was no like one some was groundswell of support where people no. were like we need to have the running clock. No, so I, I'm, uh, I, it was a surprising change. It's a strong change, and maybe if it had been, you know, softballed a little bit in further, and we had a bit more of a chance to talk about it, I'd be more receptive to it. But it, I don't like seeing big, significant changes to important elements of a sport like this get implemented that abruptly. And yeah. it's, it's going to have apparent changes right away. And I think people will, uh, will see that and have some strong opinions about it uh, as well, maybe a year from now. So I think it's going to really change how, in in ways that people can't really expect, I think it's really going to change how the games are called, like in terms of play calls and whatnot. I think you hit it right on the head. I don't, this isn't, something where it's going to be like it just makes the game faster and 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 also i don't know that it will make the game faster that's a whole other conversation but it's not going to be like the pitch clock in baseball which first of all had been basically tested at the minor league level for years before it was implemented in the major leagues that and that that has had a um measurable effect in terms of offense and players being able to hit the ball more and things like that more balls in play and that's fine but I think in terms of the strategy of football, this is going to do something that has a lot more knock-on effects that the people implementing it haven't really considered yet. And I would be okay with that if I thought that it would have like a demonstrable effect on the actual pace of the game, the actual you know length of time that you sit there and you watch a you know a MAC team get blown out by Ohio State. But I don't think that'll actually be the case. I think you're going to see a slight change in the overall pace of play, but I don't know that it's really going to do 
a whole lot in terms of like, you know, how long are you sitting in front of the the TV on your couch, you know, to watch a game? I think that'll stay roughly the same. Um, I don't know. I, you know, it, I enjoy the idea that that the clock becomes part of strategy and that's got to be something that you got to figure out. I also think it's a little arbitrary. I mean, I understand why they're doing it. I feel that it's a little arbitrary to say, oh, well, we won't do it at the last two minutes. I always hate that, how that works in the NFL. I think it's just a weird concession to strategy that you're trying to eliminate from the rest of the game. Um, I, if, if it's valid in the last two minutes of a half, I don't understand why it wouldn't be valid for the rest of the, you know, rest of the game. So that, that part kind of annoys me too. Um, but it's going to be a lot bigger change than I think people realize. And that's the part that's fascinating because, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's just something that I think people need to, I think it's something that people will have to kind of get adjusted to. They'll have to well, figure out. You drawing the parallel with the uh, pitch clock implementation is interesting because I think that that's initially where we're, I mean, we're talking about this in April. We're not going to actually see it implemented until September. Um, right. And I think as people try to like, you know, come to terms with the idea, they're going to, look at it from a pace of play perspective as you just alluded to and probably draw a similar parallel to the one that you just didn't see what the pitch clock has done for major league baseball already early on and say, Oh, you know, maybe there's going to be a, a similar effect. I will say my casual friends um, that are, you know, not super in the weeds into sports, you know, they're not going to do something as insane as a co-host a college football podcast on, <laughs> in April. Um, they, uh, you know, they'll, they'll just kind of, you know, scalp a ticket on a Sunday to go to like a Cubs game at Wrigley field in Chicago or something. And uh, I know they were, you know, I, I had a couple of friends over there, you know, just like last week and they were like, it, this is the first time I've been here since the, the pitch clock has been implemented. And they were like, it has improved the viewing experience for me as a casual fan so much. They they couldn't stop saying. Oh yeah, praises, and maybe so. that and maybe that'll be the case with the you know with the new rules in football. We don't. Well, know, I so. I think as you're seeing that kind of reception for this in baseball, you're going to see other sports that are trying to improve the watchability of their product from that perspective. The issue is, baseball was uniquely situated for that kind of a rule change in that the sport had a there's there's no salary cap and there's no cap on the time limit um you know my friends that are casual fans of the sport that have gone to see the game live this year have said uh they've been very receptive to that change that it's improved the experience a lot for them and i think that that uh that's something that other leagues you know collegiate or professional uh, are taking notice to because they want to make their product more receptive to the casual fan as well. Um, so I, I think that change here is, I think that's kind of why the NCAA is doing this. They're trying to do something they think is going to improve the viewing experience mm-hmm. now, relative to there being no time limit in baseball. That's part of the reason why this kind of change worked for that sport is that, they're um you know they they needed to shorten it and time was not necessarily something that was going to affect the strategy as much as it would in a game where the clock 
um, is inherently tied to the final outcome like it is in football and where it has such a massive strategic element. Right. And I, and that's one of my favorite things about this sport is, is the element of strategy is so much higher, I think, than in any other team sport that there is. And when you make a rule change like this that is so sudden – um that affects the the that important of an element i i I just worry that they're not giving enough attention to that uh in the interest in the business interest of the sport and i think that they're actually in the process devaluing their product when really they're just trying to make it more accessible for uh the common sports fan which is a shame to see yeah, I think that's probably a, a good way to put it. And we'll we'll see how it looks when it actually happens in the fall and, and how that causes strategy and tactics to change, what it makes, you know, what kind of difference it makes for the actual viewing experience at home. Um, and I don't know, it's for a team like Ohio State, which is leans so hard into the passing game as, you know, obviously the, the central component of what they want to do offensively. I'm curious to see how Ryan Day and company, how they they try to change their approach to, you know, play calling and things like that, because I feel like it will be a significant difference. And I don't know if that necessarily is good for Ohio State or bad for Ohio State, but it's going to be a pretty big change. And statistically, it's it's going to be one of those things where you will be able to tell pretty quickly, I think, in terms of like play selection, time of possession, all that kind of stuff. That's going to become, I think, apparent really fast. So there's going to be some pretty big changes here as a result of relatively small change. And like I said, I don't know that people are necessarily prepared for it. Um, and and maybe we'll see in some of these early games, uh, some things where they're like, Oh, maybe we've got to walk this back or change it or something like that, but we'll see. I, I think the era of Ohio state quarterbacks regularly rewriting each other's records is probably over for the time I, being. I would agree with that. I think that's absolutely true. Um, we want to remind you that the dubcast is sponsored by the dry goods store at 11 warriors.com dry goods. 11 warriors.com shirts, hats, stickers, all kinds of great stuff. Mother's day is coming up. What mother wouldn't want a sticker that says that's Ohio's moon <laughs> or undefeated at a conference with William Tecumseh Sherman on it? Uh, I don't know. My mom, I'm sure, would love it. And that's and, and I know that she listens to the dubcast. So that's what you're getting. I'm sorry. I, I spoiled the surprise. Uh, but you should check it out. There's a lot of great stuff. And, you know, if you or a loved one is interested in some quality Ohio State related themed gear, then, uh, yeah, check it out uh let's get to the mailbag because we've got to do ask us anything and you know last week was was kind of an emotional you know heavy ask us anything hmm. i feel like this week might not be quite as uh quite as as silly or crazy um uh, but we'll we'll get into it um and i do want to say real quick uh, thank you so much to everyone for writing in their thoughts about andy uh, i'm forwarding all of those to him. So he has them. And if you still have thoughts and, and, you know, feelings, you want to say, you know, thanks for your, your time and, and just a tribute or anything like that, please continue to do so. I'll definitely make sure that it gets them. Let's go ahead and start with this question. This is from Kevin who says it was difficult for me to assess the talent and the Ohio state football spring game because so many starters were quote unquote hurt. Did you find it difficult too? Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, you put quotation marks around the word hurt, Kevin. I think that's probably fair, I guess. But the truth of the matter is, is that I think it's hard to evaluate any spring game. If that, you know, if, if we based 
how we felt about players, you know, on the spring game alone, like Ray Small, for example, would probably be the most legendary Ohio State wide receiver of all time. We don't do that because it's impossible to to extrapolate based on what's essentially a glorified practice. So I agree with you. It's it's kind of hard to really see what's happening. I mean, Devin Brown's out. There wasn't the quarterback competition that everybody was hoping for between him and, uh, you know, Kyle McCord. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. It's really hard to evaluate and and to say that this is what the team's going to look like, you know, in several months because of the situations that, you know, various players find themselves in and how the practice slash scrimmage is set up in the first place. Uh, I don't know. There are some people maybe freaking out, wringing their hands a little about the offensive line or the offense in general. I just I'm not there because I just don't think that that's a fair way to evaluate a team at this point in the year. So I don't know. How do you feel about it, George? Archie Griffin had the most spectacular touchdown <laughs> run I've ever seen from a 68 year old. Does he still have eligibility? Do you think well, he can still can he still play? I'm not sure. Well, that's that's my thoughts on the uh, talent evaluation of a <laughs> spring football game. Um, yeah, but no, I mean, you know, I'm making jokes about it, but seriously, I I try not to put stock in what's happening in April into what's going to happen in August and September. Mm -hmm. There's an entire, uh, slog that they're going to go through in August to, you know, get their technique and, uh, you know, schematics and all that cleaned up and correct before uh, it's actually time to you know hit the field and you know start winning some games and you know i'm sure uh dan hope and uh griffin strom and garrick hodge and the whole gang uh chase brown as well and everyone else at 11 warriors in years past and present can tell you how much of a grueling grind they put themselves through right before you know school actually starts for them as well to get right so with that amount of time that they still have to prepare and working with guys like, um, you know, Josh Fryer, who I expect to, um, you know, get the offensive line clean. Or Josh Fryer, that's not the right name. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Fry. Josh Fry. Yeah. Fryer's the center. Jesus. Uh, okay. Josh Fry. Uh, working with guys like Josh Fry, uh, over months over, uh, to you know get in position to succeed. I, I I don't put a lot of stock in. Oh, they didn't show up in April. If they don't show up in April, that's fine. You know they're getting ready to go out for the the. You know what happens? Uh, you know when I was a student at the end of April in Ohio State, I was getting ready for summer. I, I was I was checked out. I was getting ready to go home. So these. I I credit these guys for, you know, this is kind of in a sense of, you know, you're you're going through final exams as a student and you're doing this kind of dress rehearsal for something that's not really going to kick off until, you know, your next school year starts anyway. And I, I don't you you cannot put a lot of stock into this experience. It's really just more of a tease. I think for fans than anything else. And I think that that got reflected in the fact that the biggest thing coming out of the spring game was the Archie Griffin touchdown run. Yeah. And well, it's funny because they would show, I think we even did a piece on, on the site where they talked about, you know, the, the stats for some of the quarterbacks in prior spring games. And you're looking at some guys like Justin Fields and Cedar who had terrible spring games. (laughs) And you're like, what? 
these guys are awful. They're, they got to improve. It's like, come on, man. Like, I, I'm with you. I, it's the end of spring. It's really the end of the school year for a lot of these guys, for the most part. I mean, like I said, they're in finals. There's a lot going on that's not necessarily football related. And I just, I don't know. It, it's hard for me to put a lot of stock in it as well. I, I would love for these guys to come out and, you know, look amazing on offense and defense and things like that. But it's just, it ultimately doesn't mean a whole lot until we get down to the nitty gritty and you really don't know about a team. I really don't think until the last couple of weeks of August, because there is so much evolution that happens when they, you know, they're going to have, you're going to have a summer where these guys are going to try to develop a rapport with each other, particularly, you know, McCord or Brown or whoever, you know, in the wide receivers, um, they're going to be figuring out what their overall offensive game plan is going to look like between Heartline and Day. I mean, they, they've got a lot of like work that they're going to have to do to build up what they expect the team to look like. That's This is not a finished product by any stretch of the imagination, nor should it be. So I'm not super worried about it. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I, I think, Kevin, that's a that's a pretty good point. It's difficult to evaluate any of this stuff. Uh, next two questions actually are from Nate. First one is, if Ohio State had to play a season outside of Ohio Stadium, where would you prefer it be? You can ignore any kind of logistical challenges. So, the, no, this is interesting because the reaction I had to the Browns news was, why aren't they just playing at McKinley? Um, <laughs> right. It's closer and it's enormous. And they have the first preseason game for the NFL there literally every year. Why don't they just play at McKinley? Uh, and then they, you know, the Browns don't have to taint, you know, the the beautiful success <laughs> of my Ohio State Buckeyes. They don't have to their, curse it. They don't have their, to curse that, the stadium. Yes, yeah. I'm listen. If that, I, I, I can. I, there's bad juju all over that team, man. I don't want them anywhere near Columbus any more than their fans already have to be. Um, anyway, I don't disagree. McKinley would be my answer for Ohio State as okay. well. Okay, I think uh, that, right. that seems like that's and and you know kind of tying together the the last question as well. Mm-hmm. A couple weeks ago, when I did this week's question on the forum for Eleven Warriors, I asked, um, you know, there someone I I think on Twitter, Twitter, uh, unfortunately, I think it was Paul Feinbaum had had asked his followers uh, if if college football teams were to play spring exhibition games instead of just you know their own scrimmages what what matchups would you like to see and so i rolled that out as the question was what would you like to see as an alternative uh to the spring game who would you like to see ohio state play now initially i just said i'd like to see the mac team so that i can see some other you know actually serious non-conference offerings during the real football season sure, yeah but one of the interesting suggestions that we got was uh an annual scrimmage against mount union and right. i thought that would be an awesome like ohio football cultural moment to have yeah, be fun every single year and to do that at mckinley at the canton football hall of fame i think would be you know, just such a beautiful, like, melting moment of D3 Ohio football success with D1 Ohio football success with the pinnacle of professional football success. It would just all be so great. McKinley is the spot. The Browns should be going there. They can't possibly taint the NFL Football Hall of Fame with their (laughs) horrendous history of uh, just not being good factory but of I'm, I'm, 
but I, I, I don't want them anywhere near Columbus. Go, go take a nice <laughs> trip, you know, couple, uh, what an hour. I mean, Canton's basically what an hour and a half South of Cleveland. Something they're, they're pretty close. So yeah, they're not too far away. Yeah. I don't know why they're going there instead of Columbus. It, it fundamentally doesn't make sense to me. I actually, I actually kind of agree with that. I think that's, that's a good point. I don't know how I would answer for Ohio state. I, Maybe some kind of like, you know, field of dreams thing where we go to Amish country and they just they, you know, plop down in the middle of nowhere and <laughs> and then people just show up in a field and, and, you know, watch the guys just, you know, throw the pigskin around or something. I The problem is, is that the state of Ohio, when it comes to professional football, is highly, highly like tribal and, you know, bifurcated. Like it's not the problem is, is that if you go down to Cincinnati First of all, the amount of Ohio State haters in southwestern Ohio is really unfathomable, to, I think, to people who aren't from there. I, I don't think I think there's this general idea that if you're from Ohio, you're an Ohio State fan. And I really don't think people quite appreciate the level of contrarianism and just general douchebaggery that exists in southwestern Ohio. I, I and, have some interesting thoughts on that we can do on another podcast. Well, I actually had to do this like for the for the College of Business when I was a student that's at Ohio funny. State. And I will say this. If you need just one piece of evidence, I, I need you to understand that Brady Hoke, Michigan fan for life, is from Kettering, <laughs> Ohio. Okay? And that completely tracks. That completely tracks. So... Do I want them playing in whatever the hell Paul Bart Paycor Stadium, I think is what it's called now? No, I don't want them down there. That's 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 enemy territory in a lot of ways. I'm good. Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's that's, you know, I think a good neutral kind of thing. The the thing is, is that, like I said, the state of Ohio is is not this unified whole where it's like they'll go anywhere and, and be cool. So I don't know, man, maybe like. Dennis or maybe go to Mount Union I don't know pump those guys up and and help them out or something but that's a that's a tough question because of the way Ohio is and their fandom so I, I that's a great question by the way next one from Nate real quick he says when if ever will Ohio State get a new football stadium and what would that process be like and I got to tell you something man Nate I'm speaking directly to you now I don't know if you followed my writing career at 11warriors.com. I have gotten myself into hot water in the past, and I haven't talked about this in a while, for <laughs> intimating or even suggesting that Ohio Stadium was A, outdated, B, in serious need of either renovation or replacement, and C, like, that needs to happen now. And I don't, I understand people's, you know, emotional attachment to the shoe that that's totally understandable i have attended many many games there my formative years as a college student were some of my best memories there i saw the 1v2 game in 2006 one of the greatest mo- you know, sporting moments i've ever been witness to all of that's great i also think the actual game experience of, of watching a game in there is pretty miserable and so I, I think that eventually Ohio State will have to replace their 100-plus-year-old stadium. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know how it's going to happen <laughs> to try to get to that. your point. Uh, I think it would be extremely difficult because I don't know where else you would build a stadium. I don't know how you get the funding for it, particularly to replace something that large, although I would think that a replacement stadium would be at least somewhat smaller. Um, but I don't know, man. I, I, I do think, though, that you've essentially got a shell on top of a 1920s, you know, <laughs> athletics experience, sporting experience, 
and they haven't done a whole lot in terms of amenities or even just bathrooms all right uh to improve that so they uh, added wi-fi in great, the last but... 10 years no go ahead <laughs> i said they added wi-fi in the last 10 years. yeah great that's fantastic yeah <laughs> I mean, and everybody and, and that actually i mean look that is a tangible thing that they've changed and improved but the fundamental thing is, is that you're sitting in a building built 100 years ago and so if you're on b deck there's obstructed views you know the 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 actual benches like the seats are to accommodate the average size of a person from 1922 listen when i was a student there you couldn't buy beer so you know what it's it's all it's all right and that's a good improvement too but i just you know i look at, at at more recent stadiums like what the golden gophers have they've got three times the amount of bathrooms with 40,000 fewer seats. And I'm just like, there's got to be a solution here. And maybe it's like completely gutting the stadium in and out and changing like all the plumbing or whatever and leaving the artifice. That's fine. But the solution isn't to bring in a bunch of portalettes, right? Like that's not long-term. And those problems will compound themselves over time. So again, I don't hate the shoe. I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that I don't like, you know, going to Ohio Stadium and experiencing Ohio State football because I do love that. But I, I think the, um, the actual viewing experience is not commensurate with the amount of money that you have to pay, even if the product is still pretty fantastic. So I have three things. Number one, I want to shout out all the uh, Amish listeners of the 11 Dubcast. <laughs> um, That's right. Num- number two, if if we're going to, you know, whine and, and complain for a new stadium for Ohio State Athletics, I want the Schottenstein Center demolished and I want basketball <laughs> to get an actually appropriate place to have their fans root for them. And that's not actually, a yeah. not a cavernous uh, house that they play in now that somehow doesn't actually have that's another ongoing yeah right yeah so i would rather you know i'd rather keep the halfway decent football stadium and get a new place for basketball so that's fair you know again it's all relative in terms of you know fan experience uh it could it probably you know should we get something a little bit more dressed up i think for the level ohio state's at yeah, I one of the things that does bother me just looking back is I, I I think it was was it Matt Barkley, the USC quarterback when they came to town, him and Joe McKnight. I think I remember I think it was their their court Matt Barkley was the one that was talking about how oh it was like quieter in there than I anticipated. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first uh press conference that I ever actually covered as a member of Eleven Warriors was uh uh phil montgomery for tulsa and uh despite the fact that travion henderson set the school rushing record against him that afternoon he was quick to chastise ohio state fans for uh being pretty quiet for uh enjoying (laughs) the thing so it's not a conducive place in terms of like making noise or being an intimidating place to be i think as as much as maybe some fans would like so i can understand that at the same time um you know I am someone who grew up watching Northwestern Wildcat games well. at Ryan Field. <laughs> I know what it's like to be at a football stadium where the school doesn't really care about the football program. Yeah. Um to that which is ironic cuz now they're going to build that new uh one that's basically just like the LA Rams. Uh, that's stadium. right. And they also they also have that practice facility which is one of the coolest things right on the lake that's right on the lake and it is a Um, sexy it is a sexy building that is i gotta tell you something i i was shocked both 
by the practice facility and then you know the idea that they would build a new stadium um especially with the kind of specifications that they were talking about uh that that was something i did not quite expect out of northwestern um but you know that's that's what i want for ohio state but you're right i agree with you that the shot is is probably maybe the more pressing uh concern right now and so and so my last point merging the two that i just made is that i think a great solution to this problem that could you know is is a source of you know from within ohio would be you know if if the amish community would like to come together and you know (laughs) do a stadium raising i think that that would be a a wonderful gift to and it would be uh, built shockingly quickly the land grant institution would very much appreciate that's right I agree. Last one here. This is from our good friend Alvin, who says, uh, "You just won the lottery. What are you doing with the money?" Oh God, where does it go? By the way, I've, I you answer that first, man. All right. Well, my, the there's thing. too many things I could do with. <laughs> well, okay, because I'm a pretty. I would like to say I'm a pretty frugal guy. I'm a pretty sensible guy when it comes to money. I'm looking up. There's always this question gets asked online in various forums and places and things like that. And there's always some lawyer comes in and says, look, this is what we do because we've talked to guys who've won the lottery and you stay as anonymous as you possibly can. Right. That's number one. Okay. So before you even get into what you're doing, the money, you stay as anonymous as you possibly can. Hopefully you haven't told anyone and hopefully you don't live in a state that requires your name to be public, which is kind of insane to me. Um, so that's number one. All right. Number two is, and they always say this is basically, first of all, get the recurring payments. Don't get the lump sum. Or maybe they do say that. I don't know. Regardless, what follow that advice, whatever they tell you to do, whatever the, the guys you get paid to tell people to do things with their money, whatever they say to do, do it right. Don't buy anything. And then the third thing is, is that I am going to buy a jet ski <laughs> and that is, that is going to be my one indulgence. I will never use the jet ski. I don't live close enough to water. will be a thing, but that's going to be the one insane, stupid purchase that I'm going to buy. And then after that, I can figure out my new living situation, you know, where my family and I are going to go, where, what are we going to do that can come later once we've worked all this crap out, but anonymity first, whatever the, you know, accountants and investors or lawyers tell me to do second, jet ski third and then all else will take care of itself um i am not in the business of trying to blow my money because honestly i don't trust it i don't if i get a big windfall for some reason i basically think that it's going to be snatched away from me just as quickly because that's the kind of person i am so i am not going to go out of my way to party or have fun with that i am going to put it in a bank uh or do what my uh my extended family has done which is basically put it underneath a mattress or a basement safe because I'm also that paranoid. Gotcha. Well, I think I'd be even more paranoid. Um, I think what I would want to do in the interest of trying to maintain the lowest profile possible is I would actually, you know, keep working. Um, yeah. I'd, that's, and I'd you know be, what? I think I'd... I've heard that a lot of lottery winners do keep working, that they just, they say, screw it. You know, I'm, this is my routine. I enjoy it. You know, I'm not giving that up yeah it uh i don't know man it's it really depends on how much the money because you hear the lottery and then the lottery can mean i guess a lot of different things like if it's mega millions then that's you know i can comfortably take half of like a 300 million dollar jackpot and put it in a fund that is gonna give me like a 
recurring annual return that I can just live yeah, off like of like three as million dollars. Income. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And then I can take the other $150 million and buy an island for right. a fleet of jet skis. That's if right. I wanted That's them. right. Uh, so <laughs> it, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm kind of annoying with these questions. So going, going forward, like, you know, listeners, if you're going to be writing us about these, just, just be detailed. Like, you know, if you're going to ask you, if you win the lottery, if you win a hundred million dollars from the lottery or something, what would you do with it? I don't know, but uh, I think the first well, let's thing say you I would did do. Get, what would be like aside from? I buy an island. Yeah. That, that, okay. So the the yeah. Hawaiian island, that's like your number one purchase. It doesn't have to be island. Hawaiian. I'd go island shopping. I would oh, say, I well, I've, I've suddenly come into some money. <laughs> I'm gonna you know meet with some some realtors. Right. You know, it's like it's like when you, you know, buy a plane on Grand Theft Auto online or something, you know, there's like some app for it. There's just islands for sale. So there has uh, you to know. be once once you hit the, the you know, like, you know, hundred millionaire status, I'm sure you get all kinds of stuff in the mail that like, you know, normal people don't get. And it's like, you know, bound and, and like leather or vellum or something like that. And, you know, it's it's just the, the islands that you can buy. And then if I you would, get super rich, it's like the countries that you can buy, you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah. so I would do that. And then I would also buy at least one Waffle House. And oh, of course. I, I would like make it known that I'm, you know, going to be there, you know. I would buy a Waffle House. <laughs> I would buy, I would construct a Waffle House uh, next to Andy Vance's house. Well, so the that, the end game would be buy the island and then build a Waffle House. <laughs> that's that's the idea. But you know, I don't I don't know a lot of what goes into franchising, so I'd need to work that out. But I can pay for a you know, a, I mean, I went to the Fisher College of Business, but I can pay for my masters with my new lottery winnings. So. Well, there you go. Cool. All right. Well, excellent questions this week. Thank you so much for sending those in. Last thing I want to do before we get out of here is talk about some pretty cool. I mean, we say the non-rev stuff and we save it for last, but this one's pretty awesome. Uh, Eddie Sun, define the odds. This is from Griffin Strom, who wrote, by the way, a really great write-up of uh, Eddie Sun's um, uh, boxing championship, 185-pound national championship winner. He was an underdog, came up, uh, and still just made Ohio proud, man. And you've got, by the way, if you haven't checked this out on the site, I really recommend people read the, the full article. It's really, really in depth. It's got a lot of great quotes from him. Um, I love this one. I beat all the academies from West Point to the Naval Academy to the Air Force Academy. So that's three officers who got beat by Eddie Sun, Ohio. Uh, I'll tell my kids that for sure. Um, I, I love that he defeated all of the major um national um uh, military academies Service like academies, i have defeated yeah. the united states military uh yeah, which is pretty fantastic that's who you got to go through in this game i mean that's it's, right. it's 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 crazy uh the thing great story the thing that stood out to me the most uh that uh mr son said to griffin was that he thought that he was going to get knocked out in his first fight and that he was going to get to go vacation in Charlotte afterwards. <laughs> and I am. This someone... dude is so great. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just lo- like the article really is fantastic. You guys, if you haven't read it, you need to read it. It is just top to bottom. Just awesome. Like he Griff- is Griffin has legit. done some awesome work this year. Genuinely. Yeah, I, for a I I, I, like if we can be serious for a moment, he's, he's done a lot of really special stuff for a lot of non-rev Ohio state mm-hmm. uh, athletes. And I, 
you know, I think the coolest thing that we get to do with this site is elevate those stories like that and give them a platform that they otherwise really wouldn't get to flourish underneath and get discovered with. And Griffin has been such a key person this year for making just bringing those stories out to light. So he uh, yeah, I would definitely recommend reading the piece. It's it's just funny to me because so many combat sport athletes when they enter a competition like that with that kind of mentality that they've already lost mm-hmm. they typically do not do well <laughs> no, especially against like the the people that are like expected to win and have proven themselves oh, yeah, like, like those service academy competitors right. so he went in thinking he was going to lose to them and fought his best fight against all of them and then finished the thing with a first round finish. There you go. It, it just, you, it's, it's almost like storybook. It's, it sounds cliche almost how perfect it was. So it's huge moment for combat sports for Ohio state and for the state of Ohio, which has, I think a very underappreciated combat sports tradition in general, as uh, I'm sure many of the, the wrestling savvy listeners that appreciate it and are going to be lamenting Andy's departure uh, would agree with. So, yeah, no, I, I, that's an excellent point too, is that there is a, especially wrestling, you know, just in general, but MMA, uh, there's a lot of great, you know, former Ohio state MMA uh, fighters, a lot of just MMA, you know, excellence from Ohio in general. Um, (laughs) I just, I'm just going through this article and uh, you know, he's just, like just leading up to that moment it was honestly one of the stressful times of my life it's up there i think because of the stress of just competing in my first match i actually got shingles like stress induced shingles uh, i had she look i want to tell you something i'll divulge a little bit of personal information on the dubcast i've had shingles recently because i haven't been sleeping half the time because my son wakes up all the time and he, again he's a great kid i love my son but I need to sleep. I haven't been able to sleep and I got shingles because I've been stressed out and I can't sleep more than a couple hours a night sometimes. And I don't have to go out and literally get punched in the face after that. I just have to go work, you know, with kids and have a good time. This dude was dealing with that, which I want to tell you something, not something I would wish on my worst enemy. It's pretty bad. He had to go out after that and then go win a freaking national championship by punching dudes and getting punched in the face that's pretty freaking awesome um I, it's just a great story great dude great interview um great article i like i said i really recommend people check it out because it's it's a lot of fun and this is the kind of stuff that i love to talk about and to cover and you know as much as we kind of started off this episode talking about and lamenting you know some of the dumb crap that the media does and buys into this is the kind of stuff that we need to talk more about um, and get more into. And uh, I just, I'm really glad and I'm really proud that we were able to bring that story to people because it's a lot of fun. It's really cool. It's Ohio state winning national championships. So that's cool to talk about. Um, And it's just, you know, it's, this is the, this is the reason why people enjoy sports. So I think that's, that's something that we'll definitely have to keep following and paying attention to. And, and hopefully it gets a little bit more of a, you know, gets, get some noise around it because it deserves it uh this last one here though it'd be really cool just to get osu boxing on the map and get some more national champs because there are definitely some kids that are capable so said if i can do it anyone can i don't feel too special i feel like this is kind of an accumulation of a lot of work 
but I'm not like some super athlete. I'm a student that likes to train and fight. You know, I'm just a regular guy, dude. You're a national champion. You're not a regular guy. He's a fourth year biology major on pre-med track. And That's he's, right. He's out here. So, Hey, let's start. We don't, we're not just throwing these meatheads into the Ohio combat sports scene. We've got the elite sharp minds like Eddie's son that are going out there and, and literally boxing up these service Academy members. So it's uh, right. no, I like it, this. And this is one of the things that I just love about like combat sports in general is that it's there. It's so deep, but there's so many individual stories like this that are just waiting to be discovered um right that i'm i'm so glad that you know griffin has been able to elevate and highlight in this case um and it i mean this is like you know people said it immediately this is the biggest moment that this university has had for boxing Mm -hmm. and for a school that is already such a staple in the wrestling world right uh for for you know kids and and people in ohio that are interested in boxing to see Eddie Son do something like this is going to inspire, I think, more Eddie Sons in the very near future, and it's just going to elevate the, uh, you know, the the brand for combat sports for Ohio in general. So it's it's a great story, and yeah, I uh, I you know what I I I even though we would like to find more stories like this. I, I do enjoy the rhythm of ending on a very much high note like this uh, when we have to, you know, start with the the low point of uh, CJ Stroud falling from one to uh, three, unfortunately. That's right. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, so that is the 11 Dubcast for this week. Thank you so much, George, for, for joining us and for being a part of the Dubcast now. I'm really excited about that. Um, and I think I think this is a pretty good, pretty good first regular episode. I think it worked out pretty well. Yeah, you're stuck with me. Uh, if uh, <laughs> listeners uh, feel free to air your grievances in the uh, ask us anything, uh, I would, uh, you know, feel feel free to right. dubcast at 11warriors.com. Yeah. So ask us literally anything, but yeah, don't air grievances. Welcome, George, to the, the program. And tell you what, next week, same bat time, same bat channel. I'm Johnny. I'm George. And we'll see you then.